Hello, greetings and welcome. This is Alchemy, the first show of 2017 and it's great to have your company. Wherever you might be, wherever you're listening from, you're all equally welcome. Uh, Don't be shy as well. We have an online community on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us there and say hello to us. Of course, we exist thanks to your very kind donations. So thank you to everybody who does so via our website. We're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way. So on to the show. Alchemy, alchemy. This episode, we see the return of David Icke. David has been with me on several occasions in the past, and we always have a most interesting and enlightening discussion, and I'm sure this will be no exception. So, David, how are you? You're welcome back to Alchemy. I'm very good, John. In fact, I don't think I've ever been better. Um, the uh, the interest in um, the, the work that I do and the information and the ongoing world tour, which will be um, in Ireland shortly, um, as, as I've never known anything like it. And, uh, you know, I've been... Um, doing this now for 27 years and it's um it's reaching a point now where you can see um you can see people in very significant numbers uh looking at the world in a different way uh, sometimes it's in a most uh you know if you like five cents level uh, uh we're sick of the european union we're getting out uh, but but more and more people are, are opening themselves to really deep levels of of um concepts and understanding which um which they would have waved aside with a laugh um, not so long ago well that's very interesting and you've kind of touched on brexit there which i would like to talk about because 2016 saw a lot of changes i mean brexit being won it was kind of an anti-establishment vote you look at donald trump being elected against all the mainstream odds if you're that way inclined Uh, I think most people expected Hillary Clinton and the mainstream media certainly pushed for Clinton to be elected. So in terms of that, do you think it's a genuine shift or do you think it could be the case that we've been sold a pup in a sense and that Trump maybe isn't as genuine as he seems to be in terms of being anti-establishment? I mean, I've been looking at some of his uh, cabinet appointments with interest there. And then with Brexit as well, could it be that this is actually part of a, a greater plan or a greater scheme? Or do you think it's something organic? I'm very interested in your views on this. Well, I, I think um, it's both in, in this sense. Um, people um, are in ever greater numbers um, getting sick and tired of just following along like the one in front. Vast numbers of people still do that, of course. But but there are um, significant numbers who, who were like that before who are now saying, we're not having this anymore. We're not being dictated to, and we're not being told what to think and what to do. And we're not having our lives uh, um, uh, in, in fine detail uh, more and more um, imposed upon. And, and when people have had the opportunity to um, express that, and of course, it's very difficult to do that in a political election in, for, for instance, Britain, because you're being offered, and, and, and history has shown that to be the case, very blatantly masks on the same face. In other words, um, take the rhetoric away, and there's not 
a cigarette paper between any of them, really, in terms of their basic thrust and the way they see the world and economics and, and all the rest of it. But with Brexit, given the fact that it was a referendum with with two choices, you actually could um, uh, give your choice without having to go through a political party where it would never be seen again, uh, 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 probably, because, of course, what they tell you uh, they're going to do to get into power uh, is rarely what they do when they get into power. But this referendum overrode that. And I think was a, uh, a, 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 and I think it's the reason why it was shocking to the establishment and took them aback is that um, elections do not give you the opportunity to do that um, in Britain and most other countries because of what I'm talking about. But this referendum did, and that's what shocked them because the people had the opportunity to express how they felt, which is which is they're sick of. Uh, dark suit bureaucrats in Brussels imposing um, um, themselves in, in more and more fine detail upon um, the lives of everyone else. Mm. In terms of Trump, I think that was the same. The difference, I think, though, is that uh, the reason so many voted for Trump against all the odds was not because of what Trump is. Uh, uh, Trump, Trump is not going to drain the swamp. He's standing in it. Um, that what what got him the support was the perception that he was an anti-establishment, the perception that he was for the, um, if you like, the common man, as, as people wrongly call themselves. Mm. Um, uh, uh, that's, that, that was um, the, if you like, the barometer of where uh, people were at in terms of why they voted uh, for him. But um, as I said, on the very day that he was elected, they're all going to be very disappointed because he's not what he seemed to be. But in terms of, um, like I say, a barometer on the public mood, um, the fact that they voted for someone they thought was outside the establishment was very much in line with with the, the the mentality and the motivations behind Brexit, but of course, as you rightly say, um, since that day he was elected, um, the uh, swamp drainer has just um, got the hosepipe out and started filling it. Yeah, uh, and, and the the most significant thing, and I think most people are missing this when they're getting pulled into other things. The most Im important um, aspect of Trump is that he is 100% um, uh, owned um, by Israel, mm. uh, owned in his mind as well as possibly, uh, probably literally. Uh, because if you look at his appointments, he has handed the American economy to, um, to Zionists. He's handed it to um, Steve Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary, Goldman Sachs' longtime partner. He's handed it to Gary Cohn, president of Goldman Sachs, who is made director of his National Economic Council. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, chief, which is obviously massively influential in, in um, the American economy, is Janet Yellen, who's a, a, a Zionist. And her um, vice chairman is Stanley Fisher, who is the former governor of the Bank of Israel. Um, and then you look at um, his um, ambassador to Israel, a right-wing zealot called David Friedman, the really um, 
right out there. So far, right, he's, he meets himself coming back. Jason uh, Greenblatt is, is, is made his international negotiator, another extreme right-wing Zionist, and international negotiations in, in, in all areas of trade, etc., but also in negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. So, um, you know, whether Trump won or whether uh, Clinton won, was basically irrelevant to the long-term picture, but but there there are differences that will that will um, will will make the detail different. For instance, uh, Trump um, is wanting to um, get better relations with Russia, whereas Clinton would, without question, in my mind, would have would have taken us into war with Russia. Uh, that's what where it was all building up. Um, and you've got Donald Trump, if he sticks with it, because I call him President Two Mouths. He says one thing and then says another and then does a third. Yeah. Um, but but if he sticks with it, then um, it, it's going to be more difficult for the global warming hoax to be played out with the speed uh, 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 th- that they want it uh, to be, because the global warming hoax is there to justify a complete transformation of human society. Um, so they would be good things if they came about. But on the other hand, um, I think another key word in the Trump um, presidency is um, is Iran. Um, he's made um, statements about um, Iran that are um, not complimentary. Yeah. Uh, he's put in uh, to the um, Pentagon as defense secretary this this guy with the extraordinary nickname Mad Dog, Mad Dog Mattis, who's who's publicly said how much he enjoys killing people. What fun it is! He is vehemently anti-Iran. He's got this guy Michael Flynn, another military man, as national security advisor, who is vehemently anti-Iran. And then you've got Israel and um, Netanyahu, a close friend of Trump, who is vehemently anti-Iran and 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 wants uh, a, a strike on Iran. Uh, in in truth. Because um, if you remember, um, in September 2000, when the Zionist um, dominated um, organization project for the New American Century Mm. um, laid out, in effect, uh, what it wanted the incoming Bush administration to do, it may, uh, and then many of its members became the Bush administration, people like Cheney and Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz and so on, um, it laid out a series of countries in which it wanted regime change. Yeah. And, and, and of course, they've been ticked off. Um, Iraq, um, Libya, uh, Syria, well, that's gone pear-shaped for them at the moment, thank goodness. Um, but another, the major one on the list, or a major one on the list, was Iran. And um, this is why they were all kicking off over this um, nuclear agreement with Iran, because that's not the idea to um, have good relations with Iran. So so when you, you look at that from the Trump point of view, I think that's going to be um, uh, a key word, Iran, uh, uh, as well as Israel. And of course, we've already seen uh, the other word, which is China. I mean, this guy's not even in office and he's kicked off a, a, a row with China. And and when, when you see where it came from, which was a, a phone call conversation he had with the leader of Taiwan, and I'm not taking sides over this Taiwan-China conflict, what I am saying is the idea that that, were, that phone call was an accident and just, quote, happened is ludicrous. It was done on purpose, yeah. uh, 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 calculatedly uh, on purpose to, 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 to trigger what happened, which was this... Um, this rift with China, and he's not even in office yet. So, so it, you know, 
bringing the question around um, to a, a kind of summary, I think Brexit was uh, um, a an expression of how uh, so many people now feel about the establishment and centralized imposition. And I think Trump was the same, except um, they, they miscalculated what Trump is. He's not anti-establishment. He's just another classic guy who sat down with his advisors and worked out what his natural constituency of support was and what he had to tell that constituency of support to get it to 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 vote for him. And, and, and that's what happened. And, and now, of course, before he's even close to going in, although it's getting closer now, he's um, he's done exactly the opposite with his appointments that he said he was going to do almost exactly the opposite, not in every case. There are really two sides to every coin, aren't there, when we're talking about the so-called global elite or the powers that shouldn't be? Yeah, there are. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, th- th- there is emphasis in, in detail with different people, but you've got to look at the main thrust. I mean, you know, don't let anyone be surprised um, that Trump is uh, going back on um, what he said he stood for, because we have a fantastic example with Barack Obama. Yeah, exactly. No, no one could have claimed that he was going to be different, that he was about change more than him. I mean, it, it, it was repetitive to the point of, of, of boredom. Um, but he came in and did exactly what um, he said he wouldn't do. Now, This is another point I think is very important because in the end, it's all a psychological game. It's all psychology. It's all coming from perception. The whole thing's perception. Incredibly deep levels that are usually not discussed. Um, So if you look at what happened with with Barack Obama, I I was in America talking in the run-up to it. And I remember speaking in Los Angeles one evening at a, a, a place called the Million Dollar Theater. Um, in downtown Los Angeles. And um, the, the big um, progressive, not least in California, uh, what are called progressives, um, uh, euphoria was at its peak because this man Obama was going to come in and, uh, and, and he was going to change everything. And I, uh, as part of this presentation this night, I said the opposite. I said he's not. He's just another mask on the same face, and um, he's just telling you what you want to hear, so that it can get in, and then it'll be it will be business as usual. And you know, the, you could have heard a pin drop, um, to, to say the least, because it, it wasn't what it, pe- most people there wanted to hear. Mm. But it was obvious that's what he was, because in the end, I mean, just look at this. Just like the Clintons. Donald Trump uh, doesn't have skeletons in the cupboard. He has whole cemeteries, right? Uh, if they wanted to destroy him, they could have destroyed him. They didn't destroy him. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the the Republican Party could have destroyed him. They didn't destroy him. So so I, I don't buy this uh, any of this outsider um, stuff. Not not least after seeing his um, his um, appointments. But what happened with Obama is although he came in. And, and did not stand for what he said he would stand for, that took um, uh, America into uh, catastrophic um, uh, attacks on uh, Libya, uh, the, 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 the consequences of which have been 
horrific for, for, for Libyans and, and the same in, in Syria. Um, where was the anti-war movement that had gathered so much pace during the Boy Bush administration? Nowhere. Because where did the anti-war movement come from? Basically what from an area of, 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 of perception and, and belief that people call progressives. The very um, uh, groups that supported Obama and in investing in Obama, um, that um, that uh, belief that he was uh, going to do what he said uh, and was what he claimed to be, and also investing their almost reputation in re- in, 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 in that that's what he was going to be, um, it meant that he got this free ride in places like Libya and Syria that boy George Bush would never have got. And, 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 and it's gone on. He's going out of office now, basically unchallenged by that constituency um, that would have challenged uh, uh, Bush had um, he done the same. Now, um, when I look at Donald Trump now, John, I see the same process. Mm. You know, a significant part of the alternative media, um, well, it calls itself alternative in the United States, um, has got behind Trump. Um, and, and pushed and pushed and pushed um, and promoted him. Now, for me, uh, you know, I, I've been in this arena for a very long time. And for me, um, in fact, there was no arena when I started out. Um, uh, the alternative media is not there to take political sides. It's there to question everything. And yeah. it's there to point out that it's the system and how it works and what is behind it in the shadows that is the, that that is driving um, world events and the direction of the world. Once you start um, jumping on one political side, first of all, you're accepting that polit- politics makes any fundamental difference, which it doesn't. It's there to stop any fundamental difference being being uh, being made. Um, but you. Um, you you lose your perspective. Suddenly, instead of uh, um, um, exposing um, what um, someone has done, like, for instance, hey, Mr. Trump, I thought you said you were going to drain the swamp. What about your economic team? What about this? What about that? No, there's, there's no discernment going on mm. among that part of the alternative media anymore. They're mirroring, uh, John, what the progressives did with Obama. And therefore, Trump can do no wrong. Even when he when he does blatantly opposite things to what he said, they find an excuse for him. And and what I've found also is this. Since Trump has started coming out um, vehemently supporting um, Israel and very, very clearly making statements about moving, moving the embassy, American embassy to Jerusalem, which, of course, is a tremendously um, uh, 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 relevant and um, and um, symbolic uh, t- with Palestinians. Uh, when they've seen this, they've started coming out and and supporting Israel in in in, in an unquestioning way. Um, it, it's 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 extraordinary. We're seeing the right version of what people call the left with Obama when he came in. And if we, the alternative media, are going to be alternative, we have to be beyond the political uh, puppet show. We have to expose it for what it is, a manipulated irrelevance. Mm. 
But I think, you know, the, the, the thing is, if, if you can only see um, the five sense world, that's all you can perceive as uh, real as existing, then all your answers to your perceived five sense problems must come from the five sense realm. Mm. And if you won't go deep into the nature of consciousness, the deep into the nature of perception uh, manipulation, then you know, if, if, if your only tool is a hammer, um, every problem looks like a nail. And what happens in the end when you're looking for answers and solutions to what you perceive to be five sense problems is five sense um, solutions. So you talk about stockpiling weapons to fight the enemy or you get pulled back into the um, uh, political system on the basis of this guy's different to the others. That's what happened with Obama. That's what's happened with with, with Trump. And, and, you know, there is, I think, a, a coming, and I think it's already happening. There is a reevaluation among um, what constitutes um, alternative media. And Trump supporting Trump apologists are not the alternative media. They are at best mainstream light. Uh, and and uh, what we are looking at now with this great fake news hoax which came out of nowhere always watch when something comes out of nowhere and suddenly everywhere is is they're using um basically what the mainstream media do which is fake stories uh, but but we need to be honest there are parts of the alternative media that do the same the clickbait alternative media that's not alternative at all it's just parasitical on those that are genuine um that they are using that to target the genuine um, alternative media, uh, which which they're terrified of, that which has um, integrity, that that which is looking for facts, that's looking for what's really going on, rather than um, uh, taking sides in the political spectrum. And it's very interesting because I have seen exactly what you're talking about happened before my eyes with regard to a lot of well-established mainstream outlets and portals who, I mean, I, w- I would have begun my journey with, for example, and they say the whole Trump thing seems to have completely obliterated so much of the paradigm-shattering work that had been done over previous years with this fallback into, it's almost like falling through this, this back through a glass ceiling into the political paradigm again or a more mainstream way of thinking, which if that's a deliberate plan on the part of the mainstream to discredit the alternative, it's worked quite well in certain cases and in some quite high profile cases. Yeah, um, uh, and, and, and you're right. That's what's kind of happening, because you see, um, you, you, you look at Trump's basic premise, and that is pro-Israel and, in effect, anti-Muslim. Muslims are the problem. Um, and suddenly, uh, for instance, when you have a terrorist attack in Europe, what and, and some of us still do, but but what this part of the alternative media that's got Trumpitis uh, has done um, is or would have done is to dissect the official story and um, show that actually it's not credible what is claimed to have happened. What happens now is there's a, a terrorist attack in Europe and this part of the uh, alternative media, hey, see, it's the Muslims and all that stuff. Yeah. It's extraordinary. There is no um, peripheral vision. There's no um, shades of grey. It's all black and white. And this black and white mirrors 
what Donald Trump says and stands for. It's so blatant. You're right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the next year brings. But in terms of the travelling you've been doing over the last year, well, longer at this stage, but particularly over the last year, you've been visiting so many different and seemingly disparate countries. I know interpreters are being used in certain countries because, of course, yep. you're giving the talks in English. How have they been received? And have you noticed any kind of difference from region to region? Or does there seem to be a, an almost global acceptance or not the case? I mean, maybe there isn't an acceptance of what you're saying, but I would imagine there is a certain degree of acceptance because once those dots are joined, and I've seen it firsthand when you give your talks over the course of 10 hours, there are so many dots joined that previously mightn't have been even on the radar of a lot of the audience. So what has the reception to that been and what are the differences between different regions, I guess is what I'm asking you. First of all, the, the, the response has been fantastic wherever I've gone. And secondly, it's been the same wherever I've gone. Mm. You see, when, when people are opening their minds and opening their senses to um, consciousness beyond it, to consciousness beyond the program, at levels of, of, if you like, frequency that are not within the program's band, um, then they're tapping in to the same consciousness. Yeah. It's Therefore, not about words or language. To respond the same. Because when, when you tap into that consciousness beyond the program, you are no longer Australian or British or French or Muslim or Jewish. You see through that illusion when you get to that level of awareness. Um, and, and what I'm, I'm finding, because, you know, one of the things, I, I mean, the, the talk has moved on so much since I started out in the last, last summer on the Isle of Wight and in London, because, you know, there is, there is not just an awakening going on, that there is, there is a, a bursting of the bubble going on, and those that are willing to open their minds to it um, are, 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 are getting flooded with information and concepts and perceptions that are deeper and deeper and deeper than ever, ever before. So, if my talk hasn't moved on um, uh, from what it is now, by the time I get to Dublin in three weeks, then I'm going to be disappointed. But it will have done because this is what what happened. It's a constant, constant opening and opening and opening. And and, and what, what I'm seeing um, wherever I go is this same awareness, this same response um to this information and also to the the energetic field that builds up in these event venues over the period of a day when you're dealing with this kind of information mm. because you know it's not just about oh how, how things are, are terrible it's 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 about why are they terrible um uh what's behind it um uh, what does it need to um to stay in place and 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 how can we um, uh, do something about it. It's, it's, it's very, very positive. But to, to, to get positive, going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, you have to go beyond the world of the five senses. Then, then you see, A, where all this is ultimately coming from, and also, therefore, where you stop it coming. Uh, how, how you stop it coming. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and flooding this world with all this, uh, this um, upheaval and chaos uh, and uh, distortion. Uh, and, and so it's been very uh, and also interesting, uh, John, is that when I started out last summer, it was the first time, apart from two London talks, that I had actually um, 
done a public presentation like that since 2011. Um, and, and, and so I, I had five, uh, five years passed um, for me to clearly see the difference uh, from from before, and it is different, and 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 it's gathering in intensity. Uh, people are able now to open their minds to the possibilities of things deep, deep in the rabbit hole that that they never would have before. And and you know, I, because I travel, or because I I talk to these audiences of, of so many different kinds, I, I can see it. It is happening. I can understand people living in it and, and working in a certain area and interacting with the same people every day that might not see it. Mm. But but I, it, there there is a global awakening going on. And, and remember, I was on the road uh, 25 years ago um, talking to next to nobody. Yes, but still talking to people and seeing the reaction. And, and, and there is a fantastic change going on. There really is. And, 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 and in the public arena, this this whole Brexit illusion of trump um response uh, is a is an expression of that not not of, of a some fantastic awakening but it's just it's just a sign that hey you know this is starting to seep in now it's starting to affect the way people see the world and do you think then the establishment response to the likes of brexit and trump and other various bits and pieces that have gone on over the last 12 months has been indicative of any kind of panic on their part. Do you think that they are oblivious to what's going on? Do they think maybe it's a blip in their grand master plan? And how do you think they will react if it is something that they notice and aren't arrogant enough to ignore? Well, I, I do. I do. Th- I do think they're, they're, they are uh, concerned absolutely because, uh, and this is this is where this um, big um, out of nowhere. Um, fake news hoax comes from, uh, and and using it as an excuse to uh, uh, buy by people like um, uh, Facebook, um, you know the, the T-shirt that doesn't run Facebook, uh, to um, to <laughs> censor um, alternative information and to 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 give fact-checking control to some of the worst fake news operations in the world, including the Washington Post. Um, uh, so this, you see. When you're dealing with a perception deception, uh, if you're going to control people's perception so that they um, suit you because of what people will therefore then accept, what they won't accept, what they will do and what they won't do, etc., you have to control the information they receive because that's where perceptions come from. You know, you can have information in the form of a personal experience or you can have information as someone reading something on the news. It's all information through which we uh, construct our perceptions. And what the alternative media has done um, over the years is to put before people like never before information that says you can look at the world in another way as well. You know, not just what um, uh uh, the BBC tells you or the government tells you there's another way of looking at it and and, and because this information is so powerful it's had a powerful effect uh, and, and and you know I'm contacted all the time by people and, and people I meet in the street and stuff who say and I can't believe it you know people I never thought would open their minds to anything are now um, hearing a news story and saying well I, I, I bet it's that you know I, think, I can't believe it you're saying that whoa uh, so it has had this effect and, it, and they are concerned about it. You know, they wouldn't be um, trying to um, 
shut out the alternative media um, in the way that they currently are um, because they um, they think it's a bit of fun. They're doing it because they think it's necessary. Mm. So that's a sign in itself that they are concerned. And see, there's two things that have brought this about because it's a psychological game. One is control of information. And two is um, the, uh, the fact that um, people uh, will uh, not question that information. You put those two together and you, you get the information equaling the perceptions of the people. What the alternative media has done is, is to show that there are other ways of looking at the world and that, that there is a need to question what we, are, what we were told before because it's not necessarily the truth. Uh, and and so you know they are um, uh, realizing that um, the world for them is not like it was before. They can't get away with what they uh, could before in the numbers that they could before. Uh, so uh, so I, it's it's it, it's good stuff. I mean you know I, I take it as a compliment when people try to suppress it because they only suppress it because they're frightened of it. And one thing, and I know fear is ultimately what binds us all, but. One of the things that would concern me or I would be slightly fearful of is obviously the uh, banging of the drums of war, which I think we're hearing louder and louder all the time. And you uh, indicated that you think it, it may slow down with Trump rather than Clinton. And I would tend to agree with that. I think if Hillary Clinton had had her way and got into office, well, I think she would have been pushing buttons as quickly as she possibly could. However, if it's part of the grand master plan and if we are to see a global catastrophic war that would usher in, say, a new world order or whatever term we want to use for that. Is there any real way of stopping it? I mean, the way I would see it is that people refuse to fight, for example. I mean, how do you stop a war? If nobody fights, there's not going to be a war. We know that. So do you think there is any indication that maybe the economic turmoil that many are predicting over the next five, ten years, or even in the more short term, could lead to the... Say, for example, the dollar went bust, for argument's sake. Well, you don't have the buying power and you have hyperinflation, all that kind of thing in the States. Well, surely, if the dollar isn't worth what it's worth now, the order followers who go into war blindly waving flags and guns won't do it to the same extent. Is that potentially something that could derail the grand master plan? You know, I could talk for for hours about this. Mm. Um, In the end, it comes down not to what they do but how we respond to it mm. see um what they want is um chaos they don't want harmony because what for, for on a simple level when you are in harmony you can think straight when you when you are in fear or chaos you don't think straight because you're not in a in in, in, a, in a um a harmonious state so your thoughts become disharmonious and they can become things that and, and actions that you wouldn't in a in a, a calm state contemplate. So the idea is to throw as much um, upheaval at us to create the chaos, not just in the world, but the chaos in people's minds. And of course, fear is 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 the the currency of of control. So the economic thing and the um, the military thing are actually intertwined. Uh, and, and in terms of, of, of war, um, it, even with the, um, the, the, the idea that we get closer to Russia, or America does, um, you, 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 you have this um, 
alliance, I think you can call it that really, certainly at the moment, between Russia, between Iran and between uh, China. Um, and um, I'm sure one of the ideas is to is to break that um, connection between Russia and China. But um, if um, if you go for Iran, then those other two are almost certainly um, going to be um, responding to that. Yeah, uh, you, you've got the um, uh, the already um, you know muddying of the um, harmony um, between uh, Trump and uh, and China. So there are many ways of reaching um, the, the same uh, end, but in the end, it's how we respond to it. If we can, if we and and if we get caught in the five senses, and therefore we see dots, not pictures, then we're going to be reacting to this event and reacting to that event and reacting to that event, and 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 the the, the system's just going to have us for breakfast. That's what it wants us to do. We need, and it will always come back to this in the end. We need to get to that level of consciousness of awareness of perception that is beyond it that can see it for what it is that can see that we are consciousness and our name date income bracket religion um uh, uh culture color whatever um are just um illusions <laughs> if we can get to that point beyond that then we don't get caught in the chaos because you can see above it you can see through it you you don't get pulled into it because you you hold a state of harmony within yourself while chaos is unfolding all around you thus you can think straight um and, and if that doesn't happen then the world will be in a certain state if it does happen among vast numbers of people then the world will be in a different state uh and and, and so the idea is to therefore pull us out of states of unity into states of disharmony widely known as divide and rule mm. this is why there are one reason there are others why they've opened the floodgates to migrants into europe nothing to do with um oh being kind to migrants they, these people can't give a damn about migrants and and whatever their background they're being used to create disharmony divide and rule in europe and this whole thing with with trump and black lives matter and, and what have you is being used to create disharmony and in effect, civil war in America. And I would, I would not rule this out, John. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I would not rule this out. But I think that uh, Trump um, is um, as likely to be taken out at some point as mm. any any president since the 1960s. Um, and if they did that, they they would create civil war in America, because you would have the Trump uh, supporting uh, half of America. At war with the the the, the non-Trump supporting um, part of America, uh, and um, so so there are many scenarios that can happen. But the, the the point is, they want disharmony. They want the disharmony to pull us into disharmony, and then they got us. And we've got to stop that happening. And and and, and one of the key things is to stop stop allowing these divide and rule fault lines to 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 divide and rule. Stop it. You know, you're not Irish. That's an experience. Mm. You are consciousness having that experience. You're not Australian. You're not Muslim. You're not Jewish. You are consciousness having that experience. We need to get to this level of self-awareness, self-identity. 
because once you get to that point, you don't get pulled in. Um, but if you don't, then you do. Well, that's completely true. And it reminds me of an experience that I went through over time in my own life. And you mentioned, yeah, you're not Irish. I totally agree with that. However, in the past, I would have spent, oh, probably 25 years of my life being staunchly Irish, attached to the flag and would have considered myself nationalist, almost Republican. And, you know, I mean, the, the north of Ireland, the border, the divide, England, all that stuff, all the, the, the stereotypical Irish things that the world hears. That would have been me for a long, long time, even down to the choice of a football team that I supported or soccer for those in the US. And it's amazing, as I as I started to kind of become more self-aware and to join more and more dots with the help of the research and work of so many people, such as yourself, all of that started to fall away. The less I identified with the flag, the less I identified with everything that fell underneath it. And all of a sudden I woke up and I realised, hang on a minute, I'm not even attached to the football team that I would have, I mean, I would have had a bad week if Celtic Football Club in Scotland, not even in Ireland, lost a game. I would have had a bad week for that week or at least a couple of days. And eventually I realised, as more and more people are saying to me, geez, John, you don't seem even to really care if Celtic win or lose. And the answer the honest answer it was all I could say back was well I don't really care I mean I'll still look out for results but I'm not attached to the same symbolic flag or team or label or whatever else it is and it does make things a hell of a lot easier and it's almost like you've put the wipers on you're driving through a storm in the car and you don't have any wipers you're going to have to pull over because you can't see anything well you turn on the wipers on a fast setting all of a sudden you can see and it becomes easier and easier and eventually you don't even notice that it's raining outside and that's what it's felt like for me and I just I was really struck by that as you mentioned the Irish thing or the English thing or the national um, thing and I, I think nowhere is that more prevalent than in the US and I think what you say about the potential for a hot war or a civil war or revolution or something like that in the US a lot of people might jeer and laugh at that because I've mentioned that at various dinner table conversations over the past six months and have been kind of laughed at or sneered at. But remember, for somebody coming from this land as I do, where the population don't carry guns, that's never going to happen because what you do, well, you might box the head off each other and get in a street fight and that's the end of it, you know. But in the, in, in the, Amer in the United States of America, it's very, very different because people actually do have guns and they do have ammunition and they are so attached to the flag or their politicians or whatever it might be. I think there is the potential for something because there's no question the game that has gone on with regard to divide and rule in the US has been as skillful as you can possibly see. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you go back to the 90s with music, when it seemed that you had the East Coast-West Coast rivalry, which I've spoken at length with Mark Devlin on this show about, who specialises in the, the occult side of the music industry. If you look at how the black, disenfranchised, ghettoized population of America were coming together through rap music around the time of the late 80s, early 90s. Well, what, did, what, what happened then? You had these two mysterious deaths of the figureheads, one on the west side, one on the east side, after the division of the rap community and by extension the black community in America. And 
you had everybody fighting among themselves and their figureheads were lost. And then what happened with rap music? Well, it ceased to be this revolutionary um, totem and it just became another homogenized form of pop music which had no revolutionary power. And people lost their power because they gave their power to these these totems as I call them you know and and if the totems are being controlled by the establishment well then you're on hiding to nothing you have to clear that windscreen and let the wipers do the work so you can see the wood for the trees well the idea that Jay-Z is a is a rapper in its in its uh, uh, real sense is is insane oh it's a joke uh, uh, and uh, you know uh, I call it corporate rap uh, not only did they take it over um, and um, destroy its original um reason for being mm. um they they turned it um completely upside down and 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 the things that the system wants for people to do all the bling and all this stuff became and and, and you know violence uh, became um it, it, part of it i mean it was a complete um inversion of what it what it stood for but see the the, the symbols of what um this psychological game is all about are all around us a simple symbol um of moths around a light on a porch yeah um that light can be a football team it can be a um a a sense of uh, country can be a religion can be a race they're all different lights on the porch and and different moths will fly around different lights but they're all flying around a light Mm. And what they then do is, is 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 set the lights at war with each other, with the moths, uh, or, or the the lights go at war to war with each other via the moths. Um, my light is better than yours, and all this stuff. Um, it's it's this is what's happening, and and like I've said so many times over the years, we don't need solutions. We need to remove the cause of the problem. Yeah, and and, and that is the way that. Um, People become those moths flying around their particular light. Uh, it's what I call my dot is the only dot. Uh, and once you focus on one thing uh, to the exclusion of all else, uh, and, you know, football is a very good analogy. You know, um, when I'm making a cup of tea or something um, in the kitchen um, here um, uh, and or making a bit of, bit of, bit of tea, um, I'll, I'll put the radio on and I'll listen to um, – a radio station called Talksport. Yeah, uh, and people will ring in. It's very, it's very interesting to listen to it because, from a psychological point of view. And there'll be people ringing in about the manager of their team or or, or someone from another team, and they will deliver it with the vehemence and the anger and the the passion that they would never invest in things that really matter. And this is classic diversion. And I'm like you, you know, I, I like watching football. I used to be a professional footballer a long time ago. Yeah. And, I, and I'll watch a game, but I'm not invested in it. Exactly. And, and whether I watch it or don't, it's not the end of the world. Who wins certainly is not the end of the world. I don't really mind. Um, so uh, so you, you, can, you can experience without getting pulled into the experience and the, and the experience overwhelming you. You know, if, you, if you're going to have a... Um, a, a bad week, as so many people do, because you know, eleven guys kicking a bag of wind about didn't put the bag of wind in the other person's net as many times as it went the other way. Well, you know, deep breath. What's going on? A few people can't control the world when we get pulled into that. 
so uh, and, and again, you, you can even get passionate about your team and really want your team to win as long as be, behind that and above that, you know that in the end it don't really matter. Yeah. You know, it's a bit of fun. Oh, yeah, you know, a bit of emotion. I enjoyed that. But you, you know it don't matter. When you think it matters, when you think it's important, then um, it's um, it, it's it's just a, a, a sign that the system's got you, really. I absolutely agree. And I think that's just, it was part of my awakening process. Don't really use the word awakening because it's it's not that uh, it's not that I was asleep. I just, it, my remembering process, if you want to put it that way, because yeah. I think we come in, in into the world in a natural state and then it's kind of bred out of us. But there is one well, thing. I, I think if you, you know, I, I used an analogy years ago of, of, of you come into the world and you, you, you start your journey down the freeway. And um, at the end of the freeway is um, the, the possibility of realizing what the world is and what's going on. And this system doesn't want people to know that, obviously. Yeah. So there's, there's um, exit um, points on the freeway, you know, all along the freeway, exit points. And the system's trying to push you all the time down those exit points mm. where eventually you end up in a cul-de-sac, to use a, a, another road analogy. So they'll push you into a religion. And that, that will uh, then um, encircle your mind with the wagons um, so that only what was within the religion and what the religious book says is something you would contemplate. Gotcha. Yeah. Or that you might go a bit further down the road and you might get pulled into the whole new age uh, um, uh, way of looking at things. Um, uh, some of which I have sympathy with, some of which I don't. Um, and, and, and that becomes a solidified uh, way of looking at everything. And, and what you see with uh, much of the new age is you can't talk about this conspiracy because it's negative, but we mustn't talk about negative things. Um, so there's a cul-de-sac, gotcha. Another one might be money. Another one might be fame. Uh, it, it, they're all trying. Another one might be a political party, football team, anything to get you off that freeway. Uh, and and we need to uh, we need to keep our hands on the wheel and keep it going straight rather than veering off into into irrelevant uh, diversions because that's what they want. And speaking of irrelevant diversions, we've seen in 2016 quite a bit to the point where the mainstream media even started to cover, in particular in Britain. Um, the establishment and pedophilia. And there have been plenty of other news stories that have taken over as things seem to get a little bit hotter, a little bit heated. And we've spoken on this show before, David, about the um, the satanic agenda and some of the potential rituals that go on behind the scenes and the royal family in particular. We've, we've mentioned them quite a lot. And it's almost like I've noticed any time things get a little bit close for comfort with regard to the reporting of paedophile rings and the establishment, they'll throw somebody to the lines or they'll shift the focus or have some diversionary tactics. So all of a sudden we'll have a musician or somebody in popular culture. Now we're seeing uh, the expose of football and professional football and coaches with regard to paedophilia and sexual abuse. Do you think there is a, an agenda at play there with regard to the diversion to diverting away from, say, the political sphere or the sphere of royalty? Or could that be in my imagination? What do you think about that? No, I think that's exactly what's happening. And it's been happening um, ever since the Savile revelations um, uh, first broke. Uh, the 
the, the, the fact is, and I, you know, I can say this after st- studying this information and researching this information for, for nigh on 25 years, um, that paedophilia is absolutely endemic in human society. And of course, we see that. We, we see it in the, now in the football coaches. We see it in um, all areas of society, in the, in, in the children's homes. It's, 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 it's everywhere coming up, in the Roman uh, Catholic Church. Wherever you look, you find it. There's a reason for it, which I go into in the books. Um, and therefore, um, we somehow have to believe that um, of all the um, professions uh, in the world, the one um, profession that this endemic child abuse paedophilia does not happen is basically politics, because they'll they'll go um, with with this head of a children's home. They'll go with this football coach, because that's no threat to the system, um, and it's no indication in people's minds of how deep this goes, and to what level of society. Um, but once you start uncovering politicians involved in paedophile rings, especially very, very famous politicians, um, present and, um, and past, then the whole edifice of the system comes um, under threat. And what we've been uh, being asked to believe is that, you know, this paedophile stuff in politics doesn't really happen. Well, actually, it's it's more endemic there than al- almost anywhere else, as, as I, my research over the years has shown. Both sides of the Atlantic, by the way, um, and and so we've had this so blatant cover up. I mean, when when all the revelations came out following Jimmy Savile, and there were only revelations that I, were in my books in the nineteen nineties, uh, most of them, um, they 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 had nowhere to go with it. They that so much came out so quickly that uh, they, could, they, couldn't, um, they couldn't put the lid on. So what they did, as they always do, um, is they threw it in the long grass. Mm. And they did that by um, the, the usual means of announcing a public inquiry, a public inquiry that has gone nowhere uh, because it was never meant to go anywhere. So they, um, one of the people involved, who, who was named to me in the 1990s, uh, Leon Britton, uh, was Home Secretary in um, Britain in the 1990s um, when a dossier of um, famous paedophiles, uh, political paedophiles, was handed to him by an MP called Geoffrey Dickens. And, and then after he'd handed it to the Home Secretary, it absolutely disappeared. And of course, then there were all the questions, what happened to the dossier? And, 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 and so Leon Britton was going to be called before this inquiry to explain himself. Um, so what um, they did, and it was the present Prime Minister, Theresa May, was Home Secretary that set it all up at the time. She then um, appoints a lady called um, a, a Butler Sloss, um, who was the sister of a man called Michael Havers, who was Attorney General at the time that um, Leon Britton was Home Secretary and was involved in the cover-up. So when this is pointed out, and I think pointed out on purpose... She had to resign and stand down after um, much uh, um, toing and froing. So, what does Theresa May do next? She appoints another head of this inquiry, a former mayor of uh, London, 
uh, a lady who was a, f- a friend of Leon Britton's wife and had been to dinner with them and lived in the same street. Right. So that comes out, and I say not by accident uh, that, that this was pointed out, and she had to resign. Then they get some really strange lady from the other side of the world, New Zealand, this um, uh, Goddard lady, um, and they bring her over, and she's a disaster and goes nowhere and spends, spends uh, 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 so much time heading back to, to New Zealand than, than, than on the inquiry. And, 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 and it's gone nowhere because it was never meant to go anywhere. And all these police inquiries, um, the, the, the Daily Mail and the, the Mail on Sunday are notorious going back decades for, for, for jumping on these um, uh, revelations and trying to, to trash them. And that's what they did over the uh, Leon Britton revelations. That's what they, uh, they, they did over uh, these, a number of these police inquiries. And they're now trying to do it with the, the uh, uh, Wiltshire police inquiry into, into uh, the paedophile um, Ted Heath. Um, and, and another thing that they do, John, you've got to be so freaking streetwise, um, is that they will um, throw in there uh, people claiming abuse that have not been abused mm. in among all those that have and, 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 uh, and genuinely have. And what they'll do is then focus on the one who's, who's, who's making it up and in that way seek to discredit all those genuine ones that are not making it up. So there are many, again, it's a psychological game. And, and throwing things in the long grass is, is a simple process of putting time between that moment in the um, immediate aftermath of the Savile revelations when this stuff is absolutely at the front of the public mind and just throwing it quietly away so it's no longer in the public mind to the point where people basically forget about it and it's no longer a big deal because it's all um, it's all past. And, of course, um, what they um, are doing, it's a psychological game. Just forget about this. And, and another thing that it allows them to do is, no, we can't comment on this and we can't comment on that um, because we don't want to preempt the outcome of the inquiry, which is kind of years away. So it gives them a get out of jail card in, 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 in every um, in every direction. And it's it's blatantly happened. Absolutely right. And yeah, the inquiries are, are interesting. I had a discussion with a couple of friends of mine a little while ago, about six months ago. Uh, we were watching a couple of documentaries on Hillsborough. And as somebody who can remember the Hillsborough tragedy, for those that don't know, uh, there was a football match in England, a very high profile football match. And there was a crush which was blamed on the fans of one particular team. Liverpool were the team who were blamed. And for years and years, the families of the victims, and I think there were 96, uh, some people may have heard of the Justice for 96 campaign, 96 people were killed. For like two decades, more than two decades, inquiry after inquiry and cover-up after cover-up. And eventually, in the, in the past year or two, the inquiry discovered that, yeah, there was a huge cover-up and there was collusion between the police in Britain and the media. And basically, everyone was vindicated with regard to the families who claimed that it wasn't the fans of Liverpool who... And there were all kinds of spurious and horrendous allegations pointed out at the victims. It just it got me thinking, because what you had been saying... Uh, and I've said several times in the past about inquiries and the length of time that they take and how even it doesn't matter really what the result of the inquiry is because there's so much water has passed under the bridge yeah. and so much time has passed. It doesn't really have any effect and nobody ever gets prosecuted. So what was the outcome then 
uh, for, for football or for the establishment or for anybody of the Hillsborough tragedy. And I thought, well, that really was the turning point. Football had been, again, soccer for the US, had traditionally been a working class game and was supported by the working class. And there were all kinds of problems within it then, such as football hooliganism and that kind of thing. And it, it was a bit of a dirty word for the establishment. Now, we also had the advent of Sky uh, around that time as well and Murdoch and his big business. And he was looking to make more money in the UK, which he wasn't really established in at that point. Well, what would be a good way to do it through sport, of course, post Hillsborough, all these sweeping new laws and changes came in, not not least to do with the powers that the police had in the UK. And I think that was really the start of something with regard to controlling crowds and how the police were allowed to do A, B, C and D, which they weren't previously. But also, in a very, very short space of time, football or soccer became completely and utterly commercialised and owned by big business, which it hadn't been. There was there was a, a kind of an independent streak that still ran through it at that stage. That almost evaporated overnight post-Hillsborough and standing areas were removed in favour of seating and everything became family-friendly. Family and not that that's a bad thing. It all looked very good on the surface. But look at what has since happened to the game and I use the word game with heavy quotation marks because it became completely bastardised and something, it became a monster that, that it wasn't previously and became a further method of controlling people, in my opinion. And I, I think the more I look at Hillsborough, and I probably haven't articulated it very well, but the more I look at it, I think it was another false flag that flew under the radar for decades and the inquiry method was used to brush everything under the carpet until such a time that most of the parents, of, because most of the people who died were young people, so most of the parents had either become old, infirm, or had died in many, many cases. So it wasn't that big a social issue as it had been in the past. Would you have any views on that, David? Well, I, I, used, to, I used to write a column for a football website years ago, and the column was based on footballers' life. Okay. Uh, because if you um, if you look at um, what has happened to f- uh, football, um, it's mirrored what has happened to society. Mm. Um, all the money has gone to the few. Um, you 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 got the. I mean, when I was a kid, there was still a lot. I mean, Leicester City the uh, last season was a was a, a big blip, but a very welcome one. Yeah. Um, but you know, smaller teams could win the the big championship in Britain. Um, in those days. Um, and, and then what has happened is um, this extraordinary amount of money has come into the game. Footballers are not, you know, if you like, men of the people anymore. They are multi, 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 multi millionaires, the top ones. Uh, the clubs have been taken over. For the local clubs that were um, in a local community have now been uh, taken over by vast corporations, most of them from abroad, increasingly from places like China, America, um, and, and others. And the, the whole game has disappeared as the game as it was before. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I, I look at this and, and you know, we're, we're back to the, um, the moths and the light. You know, I, I listen to people talking about uh, football um, and uh, supporters of clubs and they really couldn't care less who owns them as long as the team's winning. Mm. Um, uh, uh, th- again, no peripheral vision. What is actually happening to this game? Um, what, what, and how does it affect you? Because, of course, ticket prices have gone through the roof compared with what they were before um, and, and denied the game live to 
um, to so many people that, that that could have easily afforded it before. I mean, I mean, you know, I remember uh, what I paid to go and watch Leicester City in the 1960s, and it was it was uh, pennies. Anyone could go, but not anymore. It's unbelievable some of the prices. And I remember also. Um, Sitting in the BBC newsroom, I used to present the sport for the BBC at the weekends um, in the 1990s, sorry, 1980s. Uh, and um, uh, so I, I, I was watching the feed live, wasn't going out to to the country, but it was coming in from Hillsborough to the BBC, being recorded at BBC um, for broadcast later. Uh, but, but we in the newsroom um, had a television um, access to it live. And so I, I sat there and I, I watched this and I saw the game stop. And then I watched it unfold. And I, I shouted over to the, the, the people on the, on the news desk who weren't watching the game, um, you better turn the telly on because something big's happening here. Um, and I, I watched it unfold um, and it was horrific. Um, and um, the, 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 you see, one of the big problems that people have in understanding the nature of that which controls them and controls human society is the scale of evil and psychopathy that is behind it. Be because um, people in general are not psychopaths, it's very difficult to understand the mind of a psychopath, um, uh, which doesn't think like you do. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but when you, you take things, even in, in isolation like this, and you look at what happened to those many young children and, and, and adults, the 96, you look at the lifelong impact that had on their families who survived. And yet you can have the psychopathic um, possibility uh, of not only covering up what happened, but actually blaming the victims to cover your own ass. Now, that, that takes some doing. And let no one uh, um, um, think that that wasn't done in collusion with the authorities, because it was. Exactly. I mean, the newspapers had the stories ready to go. These, It was amazing because that's pre-internet, so stuff wasn't as immediate. Yet the newspapers, and in particular The Sun, which the people of Liverpool have never forgiven that particular newspaper. Um, and I think it's not even stocked in Liverpool because nobody will buy it. They were ready with some of the most horrific victim-blaming stories the very next morning. I mean, it was immediate. Yeah, it's um, uh, but I mean, it, when you're talking about psychopathy, because, you know, being a psychopath doesn't mean you have to be a serial killer. It just means you have no empathy. It means you um, you, you 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 have no ability for, uh, to uh, manifest compassion or anything. Um, and, and, you know, there are many psychopathic journalists. I've met loads of them um, who, who will um, write stories uh, they know not to be true. Uh, and they know the impact they're going to have on people, and they they have no emotional, empathetic consequence whatsoever. Um, and and this is this is what this system is seeking to do to those that serve its interests. It's to delete them of basic, not humanity, because humanity is an experience. Basic um, spirit, basic um, heart in its spiritual sense, mm -hmm. um, so that they will do things that um, consciousness outside the program 
would not even contemplate doing. Uh, and and uh, like I say, um, people need to, to, to start to understand the scale of psychopathy in the world to the point where they can understand that just because they wouldn't consider doing something, it doesn't mean that these people wouldn't. Yeah, I think that's a very poignant point. And for those that are interested in psychopathy and what it really is, as you've touched on there, some of our previous interviews with Thomas Sheridan in particular on alchemy would be worth going to the archives for. David, I'm very conscious of the fact that you're pushed for time today. Uh, briefly, I want to talk about one or two of your upcoming shows. You're in, uh, you're in the UK on the 14th of January in the O2 Apollo in Manchester. You're in Ireland in the Helix in Dublin on the 21st of January. And then you have Slovenia, Iceland and Germany coming up as well. You mentioned that things move on very, very quickly. So can people expect the talks to be quite different? Say, for example, Manchester on the 14th, a week later in the Helix in Ireland. That's going to be, I would imagine, broadly similar, a week between them. But Well, a week between them, it, it, it would be, yes. But, but um, by but the like, time... Let's I... say we go to Canada on the 2nd of September. Your talk could be completely different. It's not that well, you have a scripted talk, isn't it not? No, um, I mean, basically two things are happening. Um, things are happening in the world. So in the first section where I'm dealing with the world of the five senses, um, the, um, uh, the world moves on. But, but also um, when we get into the, the real deeper levels um, uh, and, and those levels that really are the key to everything, then I move on because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly um, seeking greater and greater understanding. So I move on and so the talks move on. Um, uh, so by the time I did um, Amsterdam um, in uh, late November, the talk was massively uh, in many areas moved on from the one I delivered in London in the summer. Uh, this is the way it, it, it works. And funnily enough, um, since um, you know I came back from uh, Amsterdam, I've been uh, started writing a new book, uh, and um, also I'm I'm doing really big updates to the Manchester talk, which will be significantly moved on um, from Amsterdam. And, and this is the, and then for Ireland the, the next week. And all the tickets have gone for Manchester. There's 2,600 people going to be there. And, you know, we are looking at, at, at an awakening. We are. And there's not many left for Dublin um, the, week, the, week, the week after that, the Helix. So it's going to be a very interesting time in 2017. Um, just with regard to the book, because that will be news to many people, when can that be expected out? Before the end of the year. Uh, I, I've never, I, I started, I came back from um, Amsterdam and I'm thought, I thought I'm going to have a little bit of a rest before Christmas. And then after about 24 hours, I thought, nah, <laughs> no. Um, and uh, so I, I just sat at the typewriter and I thought, I'll, I'll see what comes. And I, I've never written a book faster in my life than this one. And it's just poured out. Um, I've got up to uh, chapter three. I've done 35,000 words and I only started it about two and a half weeks ago. Uh, so so um, when I get back from Dublin, I've got a chunk of time, about eight weeks uh, before I go off to Slovenia and, and Iceland and Germany and loads of other places. And I'm, I'm going to sit down and real, really uh, get as far into it as I can. So I, I hope by the summer it will be done. Fantastic. Well, exciting times ahead and I really appreciate your time. I also appreciate the fact that there's such a positive slant that you put on your work and you don't shirk away from the harder issues. You don't shirk away from calling out people when responsibility needs, needs to be claimed and when people need to pull back their own power. Well, then you say it. So I really appreciate that, David. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in Ireland. In a well, that'll be great. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. So, um, Always great to see you. Absolutely. So thanks again, David. Have you any parting message for the Alchemy listeners? 
Well, I think, um, you know, 2016, I did a video cast on my website uh, last week, um, and it was um, it was quoting a, a Churchill quote. Um, uh, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And I think 2016 could be the end of the beginning in the sense that we've reached a point now where, where, where people in, in increasingly large numbers are looking at the world and saying, OK, I'm open to another explanation. I'm I, I, or I, I am I am sick of the status quo. And that that's a good start because you can't you can't change a status quo if you don't think it needs changing. You just follow it. And I hope that 2017, 2018 and onwards um, is going to see that this move on. And I think Donald Trump's going to help us do that, just as um, for some people, Barack Obama helped to do that, to move on beyond the idea that we are going to bring about change through the political system. We're going to bring about change by changing ourselves and ceasing to cooperate with the political system when it's imposing things that are there for no other reason than to um, deny our freedom. The website is davidike.com. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. David, as always, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers, John. And David has very kindly donated a ticket for his Dublin show in the Helix in Dublin on the 21st of January. Not long to go to that one, to one listener. So I'm going to put a question out there. The question is, what is the name of David's most recent book? And to enter, just give us the answer on either our Facebook or our Twitter pages. So the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash alchemyradio.net. And on Twitter, it's at Alchemy Radio. So what's the name of David Icke's most recent or current book? And we will draw the winner at random from all the correct answers and get in touch then. So thank you for listening and good luck with that. Alchemy, 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 alchemy.
Feels like fire I'm so in love with you Dreams are like angels They keep bad at bay, bad at bay Love is the light Scaring darkness away yeah. I'm so in love with you Hurt so Make love Make love, go.
hope you've enjoyed this episode of Alchemy. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format and are very grateful for any help you can offer. We have no fixed cost on donations and it all helps, so if you could spare even the price of... A bag of potatoes every month. This would go a long way towards keeping us afloat. The donate button is on the website alchemyradio.net and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. And indeed, thank you to everybody who has done so. We really couldn't do it without you. So until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. 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 Care. Will. Intelligence. Imagination.